0: Tonight, we're focusing in on Jesus Christ and his identity as the son of God, Jesus Christ as divine. It's a it's an important topic. In fact, I was just back there right before coming up here and I was looking up the statistics uh, and as of 2015, uh, this was a, a pretty significant topic for millennials where you guys find yourself. In fact, as of 2015 in the United States, uh, 48% of millennials believe that Jesus Christ is God, who the scriptures portray him to be. That's 48% believe that he is God. There's another 35% that just believe that he was a religious spiritual leader. And then there's 17% that just haven't yet made a decision. So it's it's almost split half and half between those that believe that he is God and those that, that think, no, He's he's just a, a good moral religious teacher. And Those are the the two probably primary views that you have about Jesus out there. Last week, we covered the fact that he was a historical person. So the idea that Jesus Christ never existed, it's really a hard position to hold. You really honestly have to bury your head in the sand and say, you know what? I don't care about uh, what the historians say. Historians that weren't Christians, historians that were against the church, who still said that Jesus Christ was a historical person, who lived under the reign of Caesar, who lived under the reign of Pilate, was executed under the authority of Pilate on the cross. whose followers said that he he rose from the grave. We have all of these from extra-biblical, non-Christian sources saying that all those things were accurate, that those things actually happened. But now we have to come to that big question then. Okay, so then who was Jesus? And this is really where we've been driving at this this entire time, through this entire series. We've looked at the fact that that the Bible is unique, right? That we talked about, that it's this one storyline written by over 40 different authors over the course of about 1,500 years over such a a vast geographical spread and a cultural spread, and yet there's just that one common thread that goes from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So we looked at its uniqueness there. Then we looked at the canon, right? We talked about how the Bible was compiled, how we got these 66 books that they were from the, the time they were written, believed to be books that carried authority, and so the local churches of that time would send these letters around to the, the other churches and copies were made so that they could be read in other churches. And they were held to be books that were uh, authoritative. They they looked to them for teaching that they should obey and listen to. And finally, the church in the mid-300s came together and said, we should just formally recognize these things that have been already granted such authority from, from the time they were originally written. And, and that's where we got the canon. Then we talked about transmission, that those copies were just cared for and protected way, way, way down through the ages, just meticulously handwritten copies of the original text such that we've got more copies of the New Testament than any other ancient book that that you could put out there now. More than Plato, more than Aristotle, more than Caesar, more than more than Homer in the Iliad, the Odyssey. More than all of those, we've got more documents, more manuscripts for the New Testament than any of those. Over 5,800, which gives us the ability to look at them, to compare them, to contrast them, and have confidence that the Bible that we hold in our hands today is largely the Bible that the original authors wanted us to have. Is it every single article, every single comment, every single period exactly where they wanted it? No, not necessarily, but I, I'm, I'm willing to, to argue that every single doctrine and core aspect of the belief of, of a Christian is exactly the way they wanted it to appear. And so now we come after last week and we looked at the idea of the historical Jesus, who's the central figure of this book called the Bible. Now we have to come to this question, okay, so who was Jesus. Well, this past Thursday at Saddleback, the Lord would would just so have it that as we were getting set up, there was an older gentleman who came up to talk to me. And he had a Saddleback pin on this suit or whatever. And so we started talking and and, uh, his name was Maboom. And and as we were talking, he said, uh, said, I'm I'm from the local mosque and I'm just curious as to what you're doing. And so as soon as he said, I'm from the local mosque, I knew that he was what? A Muslim, right? So we were talking with each other and, and he was telling me about... He said, this is great, so what do you guys do? And he said, is this primarily evangelical? I said, yeah, it is. We're, we're out here to, to have an impact with the gospel on, on the lives of the students in the, on campus here. And he said, oh, okay, so it's not a, not just trying to take care of needs and things. I said, well, there's that, but no, it's, it's mostly focused on uh, evangelism. And he said, oh, okay, well, well, what we do with our mosque, he said, is we just try to work for the good of, of everybody we just try to really get to work with other faiths and other people of other religions for the good of everybody and on the surface that sounds really good right on the surface we're like okay well they're philanthropic that's that's a good thing but really it's it's not a position that you can hold on to for very long really ultimately because of this question right here so i started to talk to him a little bit more and i asked him this question i said maboom tell me what you believe about jesus and uh, he was a, a very friendly guy, very nice guy. And he told me, he said, well, we believe that he was a, a great prophet. And he said, in fact, we believe that he was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. And he was so great that he even has a title given to him in the Quran. And I said, okay. So that's, that's interesting. I said, well, what we believe as, as Christians, I said, is we believe that, that Jesus was not just a, a great prophet, but Jesus was the son of God, that he was the second member of the Trinity, that he was God in the flesh and Maboom smiled and warmly told me that I had just committed blasphemy. Um, very politely. It's the most polite way I've ever been told that I'm a blasphemer. But seriously, he was like, Well, we believe that's blasphemy. And I, I said, I, I understand. I know you do. And I said, That's what puts at, uh, us at odds, Maboom. And I said, That's why you know, it's, it's a, it has to be about more than just getting together and coexisting and helping the world move forward. Because I looked at him and I said, Eventually, Maboom, you're going to end up drawing a line with me, right? And you're going to tell me that I'm going to end up in hell because I don't follow the Quran. And, And he backpedaled and he said, well, no, I would never prejudge. And I said, but you just told me that I'm a blasphemer for believing that Jesus is God, right? And he said, yes. And I said, so wouldn't my blasphemy mean that I should go to hell? And he said, well, I don't prejudge, that's up to Allah. And he began to explain their view that if you do enough good to outweigh your bad, that you can still gain paradise. However, I I believe that blasphemy is is pretty much a a deal breaker with that, no matter what. He just was too nice to tell me that he thought I was gonna go to his concept of, of hell. But you see that all that to say, the statistics, that conversation that I had with Maboom at Saddleback College, these are, are very real issues that we have to deal with, that you guys are going to be confronted with. Issues and questions like, was Jesus just a, a, a mighty prophet? Or was he actually the son of God? Or getting outside the realm of, of Islam? If we get into some of the cults that are out there, was Jesus, uh, was Jesus a, uh, just a god? Was he just a, a, a revered and an elevated person? He was superior to humans, but he wasn't like the, the one true God. Or was he truly the Son of God? It's really, guys, the most important question that you and I can ever hope to answer as, uh, as people. Forget as believers, as, as people. We have to answer this question who was Jesus? Because if Jesus was who he says he is in the pages of scripture, which we're going to look at here tonight, then he's God and he's fully worthy and deserving of my complete allegiance and devotion. And as God, I'm accountable to him and I'm accountable to his commands. And I also need him. And We'll talk about that as we go. But we want to begin and we're going to look at it this way. This is the way we're going to outline it tonight. We're going to look at first, what did Jesus say about himself? And then we're going to look at, after that, what did others say about Jesus? And then we're going to look at, what did Jesus do? And then finally, we're going to ask the question, so what do we do? And I want to ask, I want to walk through it that way, because again, I'm, I'm wanting to equip you to be able to, to write these things down, to think this way, so that you can have conversations with other people that want to push back on this concept that Jesus is God. But first, let's look at what Jesus said It's undeniable in the pages of scripture that that Jesus believed himself to be God. And remember, we've spent the last few weeks, and this is why we've spent the last few weeks, focusing in on the authenticity of the Bible. That it's reliable, that it's trustworthy, above and beyond so many other books, every other book that's out there. Not just because I'm a Christian and I say it is, but because the evidence stacks up for it. We've got more manuscript evidence, we've got more external testimony, we've got more just generic proof that that the bible is accurate than any other book in all of creation so when it comes to what it's recording we can have confidence in that we can point to the new testament and say we can point to what jesus said and say that this is what jesus actually thought remember these new testament especially the the gospels the words of jesus were written down during the lifetimes of the eyewitnesses of jesus life and we don't have, you know, Jesus, the other story, written by anybody else during this time that's refuting anything that the eyewitnesses said. Nobody stood up and threw a flag on the plane and said that's not what he said. In fact, even the Jews agreed with what Jesus said and it drove them, as we're gonna see, to kill him. And so we can have confidence that when we look at the words of Christ, we're looking at what Christ actually taught, what he actually said. Now, uh, rather than me reading all these passages, because that gets old, I've, I've handed out to a lot of you uh uh, what paper? What word? Yep, strips. Thank you. Strips of paper uh, that uh, have a, a passage on them. So when we get there, if you will stand up and and read that, and let me just encourage you. I'm, I'm I won't shame any of the girls, but but men, if you don't read this like a man, in other words, if if I have to ask you to to speak up, I, I will humiliate you. Okay, um, you are heralding the word of God. Okay. Charles Spurgeon said the, the, the herald of, of the word of God cannot have a concave chest, all right? So stand up and make sure that everybody in the room can hear you, all right? Ladies, put these men to shame, okay? Let's, let's outdo one another, okay, in reading the word of God with passion and conviction and boldness. So with the first one up, John 10, 27 through 33. Who's got John 10, 27 through 33? Michael Graham, the pressure is on, bring it with the passion and heat the Charles Spurgeon would be proud of. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Could have been a little bit louder, but that's not bad for the first one. We'll, we'll, give, we'll give Michael a round of applause. But for the, sake of, uh, for the sake of the recording, can I have a volunteer to, to just carry this around to the different people that are going to be reading tonight and, uh, and do some microphone ministry? Joseph Lopez is on the ball. Thank you. Everybody give Joseph a, a warm round of applause. Thanks, man. All right, so let's talk about that passage for a second. John 10, 27 through 33. Who's speaking in that text? One, two, three, Jesus, right? Anytime I say one, two, three, the answer is going to be Jesus. One, two, three, Jesus. Yes, otherwise, why am I putting it down there as, as something that Jesus said? So he's talking about a sheep, and he's talking in this context to a, a bunch of Jewish leaders who aren't really big fans of Jesus at this point. And what he's basically essentially telling them in this passage is he's saying, the reason that you're not a big fan of me is because you don't understand the things that I'm saying because you're not part of my sheep, the sheep that the father has given to me, sheep that I will never lose because no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. And then this is the part that got him in trouble because I and the father are one. I and the father are one. So it's, it's not just that he says in verse 29, my father, okay, that's, that alone was a statement that would have been jarring to his Jewish audience because he was personalizing God, Yahweh, as his personal father. They would have thought corporately as God is the father of all of Israel, but to say personally that God is my father, you and I can say that today as believers. Jesus instructed us to say that. But during that time, that, that would have been, uh, bold would, would be an understatement for a Jew to say my father. But then he goes even further than that and he says, I and the father are one. But the Jews even say there, He says, I've shown you many good works. And we'll talk about those good works in a minute. I've I've shown you many good things, miracles, good works, wonders. For which of those are you going to kill me? And the Jews answered him in verse 33, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. There's that word. Because you being a man, make yourself God. So in their book, there was only one God. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 this was a verse that every Jew memorized from the time that they were in in barely able to to read understand listen Deuteronomy 6 4 hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one so the, the the Jews during the time of Christ didn't have a concept for God existing as the trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is there saying, I and the Father are one, they're looking at him as making a claim of deity, saying, I am equal to God. Me and the Father are on level playing field here. And they charged him with blasphemy. They were ready to pick up stones and kill him. Again, the message of Jesus was inevitably, undeniably clear. Okay, so that's John uh, ten, twenty-seven through 33. Let's go to the next one. John 8, 57 through 59. Nathan Yeovachin. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay. So here again, you've got Jesus, and he's interacting with Jews who don't like him. This is a common refrain in the the Gospels. And and as Jesus is talking to them, they say to him, You're not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Because he just said, Abraham longed to see him. Abraham longed to see his day. And in fact, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the the Lord is, is speaking to Abraham, and he says, through one of your descendants, basically this is a paraphrase, I'm going to bless all of the nations of the earth. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 picks up on that, and and it says there that God preached the, rhymes with schmaspel starts with a G, gospel, right? God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said, in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now in the the gospel of John, Jesus is saying there in John chapter 8, verses 57 through 59, he's saying, Abraham longed to see me. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis twelve three. He's the one that's now on the scene through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That means you and I get to be here tonight as those that are forgiven and saved in Jesus Christ as part of all the nations being blessed through Jesus. Jesus was telling the Jews, Abraham longed to see me. And they're looking at him like he's crazy. They say, how can you, you're not even 50 yet. And he wasn't even 40 at this point. And they're saying, and yet you're claiming that Abraham knew anything about you? You're insane. And then Jesus builds upon their astonishment and incurs their wrath and their anger because he says this statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am. You don't remember back in the Old Testament when Moses was called to go to to Egypt, sorry, to, to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Um, What did Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? And what did God say? I am. am. It's the, the Old Testament name of God. It's the covenant name of God. It's the most personal, relational name of God. It is Yahweh. It's that name that the Jews wouldn't say lest they said it in a way that would bring dishonor upon God. Yahweh. And so here, Jesus is telling the Jews, he is taking the Old Testament covenant name of God to himself, saying before Abraham was, I am. Again, from Jesus Christ, it's a direct claim of deity. The Jews pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because they understood what he was saying. They understood that he was claiming to be God. Who's got John chapter 5? John chapter 5, 22 through 23. Ray, Uh, That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Awesome. That's good. So, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And then he goes further, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Right before this, the Jews were again trying to kill Jesus for claiming to be God. This is not something that he hid. This was not something that he only told a few select people. This was something that he was making very public. But now he continues, even in spite of their opposition, And he reinforces this claim of deity by declaring that he not only had the authority to judge given to him from the father, but he was also worthy of the same honor that the father was due. In fact, he's telling this group of religious Jews that if they don't honor him as they honor God, that they're not honoring God at all. You think that would have ruffled some feathers with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the religious leaders? Yeah, just, just a few. Matthew chapter 5. who has got Matthew chapter 5. In the back.
1: You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire.
0: Great. You may be wondering what in the world with that passage, Matthew 5, 21 through 22. But it happens multiple times in Matthew chapter 5. And it's this. You'll notice that that Jesus starts out. And how does he start out in that passage? You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. What is Jesus doing in that there? What's he doing? Not a trick question. He's quoting the Old Testament. Testament. He's quoting scripture, right? He's quoting something. He's he's giving a, a reference to an Old Testament command. Even the Ten Commandments, you shall not, what? Murder. It's, it's the law. It's God's law. It's something that the Jews would have heard and gone, yes, that is, that is the Bible. That is scripture. But then notice what he says right after that. He says what? But I say to you. And he takes that idea of murdering somebody and he transfers it to the internal. And he says, look, if, if you get angry with a brother... It's it's just as bad as somebody physically taking the life of another person. He said, "Wow, that's that's bold." Yeah, on a, lo- a lot of levels. He's saying it's just as bad because he's saying it's it's the root of of the the sin that's the problem. It's not the physical action that's the problem. Yes, the physical action is a problem, but it, it begins in in the heart. And so, if I'm getting angry with somebody as I'm driving around, or if I'm getting angry at somebody that that hurts me or offends me. Jesus is saying, look, I need to be careful because I can cross a line to where it's just as, as like I'm, I'm killing that person in my heart. But notice what Jesus says. He says, here's the Old Testament command. And then he says, but I say to you, and then he reinterprets the Old Testament command and he places it on the same level. That's something that, that none of the, the Old Testament, none of the New Testament rabbis would have ever dared to do. They would have never taken the the Bible, reinterpreted it, and put their reinterpretation on the same level as the Old Testament. Why not? Because it wasn't. It was just their interpretation. But Jesus, all through the, the Sermon on the Mount, says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Why was he doing that? He was claiming authority as a teacher, as the Son of God. He was claiming the authority of being able to teach and speak and give scripture. That's not something that anyone aside from God had the authority or the right to do. But Jesus did that. And so Jesus over and over and over again, and these are just a few, a handful of examples, claimed to be God. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't cover it up. He didn't speak in code. He came straight out and he made bold statements claiming to be the son of God. He didn't make it uh, something that was a, a mystery to people. But not only that, the other thing that, that Jesus did is he received worship as God. He received worship as God. Revelation uh, 19.10. Revelation 19. 10. Revelation is the last book in your Bible. By the way, it's, it's not multiple revelations. It's One. Revelation 19. So John has just witnessed a a lot. Okay, that's an understatement. John has just witnessed a lot here. And he says in Revelation chapter 19, after witnessing the scene with the marriage supper of the Lamb, when, when the church sits down for the great final feast with Christ, And it says in verse nine, an angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then John says this in verse 10, then I fell down at his feet, the feet of the angel, to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay, so you've got that instance, okay? Revelation 19, John appears before this angel and he's driven to the ground to worship even an angel after he's seeing all the visions. But what does the angel do? Does the angel accept the worship from John? No, no he says, stop it. He says, I- I'm not to be worshiped. The only one worthy of worship is God, right? How about Exodus chapter 20? What takes place in Exodus chapter 20? 10 commandments. Ten commandments. In fact, let's, just the first three of them. Exodus chapter 20, verse Three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So the first three of the commandments are bent on what? Worship and worshiping who? God and who else? No one. So you've got the Old Testament, you've got the Ten Commandments, framing everything else with you should worship God and worship God alone. Deuteronomy 6, 4, there's hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. It's all encompassing. It's total devotion to God and God alone. Then you've got Revelation 19. John's worshiping this angelic creature and the angel says, stop it, don't worship me. You should only worship God. With that in mind, who's got Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 33? Pang. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. and walked on the, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when he got onto the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Go ahead and read verse 34 to you for me for a second. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. Good enough. Yeah. Okay, so verse 33. Okay, that's what I want you to focus on. This is Peter walking on the waves and then sinking and then reaching out. And, and, and Jesus pulls him back up. And then they get in the boat. And what do the disciples do to Jesus? They worship him. And does Jesus stop them? No, that's why I had him read Verse 34. They got in the boat and they went over to Gennesaret. In other words, it was, this was right, this was good, this was normal, this was expected. Versus if Jesus wasn't fully God, then he should have what? Rebuked them. He should have stopped them. He shouldn't have received their worship, but should have said, this is wrong, you shouldn't worship me. Just like the angel in Revelation 19 told John, get up, don't worship me, only worship God. John chapter nine verses thirty five through thirty eight. John nine thirty five through thirty eight. Clement. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and worshipped him. Okay, go ahead and read the next verse too. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Okay. So Jesus heals this blind man and the blind man receives his sight and he comes back to Jesus in John chapter nine and he, he responds to Jesus with what? He says, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. And then in the next verse, Jesus talks about judgment and he talks about spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. What he doesn't do is look at the blind man worshiping him and saying, stop doing that, you shouldn't do that, that's blasphemous for you to worship me. Jesus was okay with the worship. Why was Jesus okay with the worship? Because he's the son of God. He believed himself to be the son of God. He taught that he was the son of God. He didn't hide that he was the son of God. And so he knew he was worthy of the worship that was being offered to him. How about the, the next one? Who's got Mark 14, 61 through 64? Mark 14, 61 through 64. If you guys have heard Pastor Mike's last two sermons, he's talked about this next point, and that is that, that Jesus was killed for teaching and claiming and stating that he is the son of God. Go ahead. But he remained silent, make no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So yeah, so Jesus now is on trial. And they say, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And then he goes further and he says, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. What this is in Mark chapter 14 is it's a reference back to, it's a direct reference back to Daniel chapter seven, which was a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. In Daniel chapter seven, Daniel sees this vision and he says, and behold, With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, to God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So Jesus goes all the way back to Daniel, which the Jews, again, would have been very, very, very well acquainted with. This is why the high priest tears his robes, because Jesus is looking at him saying, I am that guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that was prophesied about in Daniel chapter 7. You're looking for him. You found him. It's me. Luke chapter 22, 66 through 71. Danny. Danny.
1: Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips.
0: Again, you've got the reference to the Son of Man, to the, the, the Daniel prophecy. This is the same circumstance, same event, just with a little bit more detail provided for us, which isn't unusual for Luke. He tended to do that. But here he adds that they even then finally asked him directly, are you the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. In other words, he's saying, you know it. Yeah, nailed it right? I mean, that's, that's first century paraphrase there. Um, yeah, Jesus is saying, yes, yes. Are you the son of God? Yes. He's affirming their accusation as directly as he could, which is why they say, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And so you think about what happens from this point forward. Jesus is then sent to brought before Pilate, which if you were in church this morning we heard about or last night we heard about, and then he's sent over to, to Herod, who then sends him eventually back to Pilate. He's beaten, he's flogged, he's he's stripped bare, he's nailed to a cross, he's hung on this cross for three hours, struggling with every ounce of his body with his joints out of socket. Speaking of of having your joints ripped out of socket, struggling to to get up to even take another breath with his back filleted and splinters digging into the open wounds on his back. For, For what? Because he claimed to be God and the Jews directly confronted him and he knew exactly what was waiting him on the cross. And he still said, that's who I am. And they said, what more testimony do we need? We've heard it from our own lips. He is deserving death. And again, remember Josephus. Remember uh, Tacitus. These historians who were not Christians wrote that he was turned over and killed by the Jews under the the order of Pontius Pilate. This, This was an actual historical event that did take place. Why? Because he claimed to be God what about others? What did the others have to say? I gave somebody a long passage, John 1, 1 through 14. CJ? This is the perspective of of others, some of his followers, about who Jesus was.
1: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth.
0: Awesome. Thank you, CJ. So John's perspective on Jesus was what? That Jesus was God. God. In the beginning was the word. uh, That starts off in the beginning. Where does that immediately drive you? Genesis 1-1. Do you think that was intentional by John? Think John was familiar with Genesis 1-1? North-south on that one. Lots of north-south. Yes. His readers would have been familiar with Genesis 1-1. He's doing that intentionally. Why? Because he wants to, to demonstrate that he had a firm conviction that Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of all beginnings. The beginning before which there was no beginning. We've talked about that in this series too, that there had to be an uncaused first cause. John is saying that Jesus is that uncaused first cause. Why? Because he is God. He was there with God. In other words, he was face to face with God, enjoying one of the most close and intimate relationships one could ever have. And he was God. And what's interesting is you'll find, especially the cults will try to argue that, well, it should be he was a God because there was no definite article there. Anybody heard that? Okay, that, that's not how the Greek works. And somebody who tries to argue that doesn't understand the, their Greek New Testaments. This was the, the only way that, that there really was for saying, and Jesus was God. It's, it's a, there's a to be verb. When you link two nouns, it's called nominative and what? Yes, predicate nominative. I know you don't want that at school. Get that out of here, whatever. But it's important for us. Grammar is important to Jesus. Just always remember Grammar is important to Jesus. So your grammar Nazi friend on Facebook, just know that they're a, they're a brother or sister in Christ who loves you because God loves grammar. He says Jesus was God. He puts God, he front loads God in the sentence, not to, to stress that, it's, that it doesn't have an article or that it's supposed to be just this a God, but he wants to emphasize that he is the God, that he is the, the only God, that he is part of the divine trinity. Here's the problem. If John had, had put Jesus is the God. In the Greek, he would have been arguing that, that Jesus is the, the only God. He would have, been, would have been denying the existence of the Father and the Spirit there. So he couldn't do that theologically. It was totally appropriate for him to say Jesus was God. That's what he meant. He gave the right to become children of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Again, there's no denying John's view of Jesus. Philippians 2, 6-11. How about Paul's view of Jesus? Who's got Philippians 2, 6-11? Kenya. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Jesus. He was in the form of God and did not count equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He set aside some of his divine prerogatives to come to earth, to take on flesh, to live that perfect life, to die on the cross for us. And now as a result of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's a, a, a stature of worship in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only way that can glorify God the Father is if Jesus is God the Son. So Paul firmly believed that Jesus was God. We also see that in Colossians 1:15 through 20. Somebody have Colossians 1:15 through 20? Joseph Lopez He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 15 through 19, it's one of the most amazing passages that we have about Jesus that's not uttered by Jesus. He's the image, the exact likeness is what that means of God the exact likeness of God. He's the creator of all things. And notice, not just things visible and and things on earth, but also the invisible realm, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things. He's talking about the spiritual realm at that point. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together Head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, be that that place of first place in everything. For in him, verse 19, this is direct as you can get, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't get any more plain than that. Paul clearly believed that Jesus was God. Uh, how about the writer of Hebrews? Just a couple more, guys. I appreciate you guys hanging in for me. Writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, does somebody have that one? Kiana. Thank you. We play some Jeopardy music, but I don't have that queued up. Sword drills.
1: Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he anointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than
0: Great. Thank you. Yeah. So what's, what's the writer of Hebrews saying there? He's saying it, it used to be that God spoke by the prophets. It used to be that God spoke by, by men. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. No human being can claim that. No angel can claim that that they are the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The writer of Hebrews understood Jesus to be God. One more text for us tonight: First 1 Peter 1, 20 through twenty one. Levi, did you guys know that they're getting married? By the way, it's exciting. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Great. This one's a little bit trickier for us to, to fare it out, but I think we can do it here. So he's talking about Jesus. Jesus was foreknown from before the foundation of the world. In other words, the gospel was not plan B. It was planned from beforehand, but, it, but was made manifest. He was revealed in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Okay, we're tracking so far. God who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, we're, we're tracking there. And gave him glory. Is it possible for God to glorify anything, anyone other than God? no. Because to do so, he would admit that something or someone is greater than he is. And he would cease to be God, and whatever he is glorifying would become God. So the only way that he can glorify anything is if he glorifies himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in First Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. So we see that God is glorifying Jesus, which must mean that what? Jesus is God. So, hopefully, with that survey, and there's so much that we didn't turn over there, you see that the scriptures teach that Jesus is God. Jesus believed himself to be God. Other people wrote that Jesus was God. How about what Jesus did? Josephus said that he was a doer of startling deeds. The rabbinic uh, traditions, the Jewish traditions that followed within one to to 200 years after Christ contain statements like Jesus was a master of the magical practices, to gain a following, talking about the, the miracles. New Testament scholars today say that the scholars almost unanimously agree that this Galilean performed both curses and exorcisms. Again, testimonies to the miracles of Jesus. In Matthew chapter four, chapter eight, he cleanses a leper. In Matthew chapter 8, sorry, I'm a little bit behind there. Matthew chapter 8, he, he cleanses a leper, right? And then in, in Luke chapter 7, as he draws near to the, to the gate, this, this funeral procession comes out. And there's a young man who's dead on this funeral pyre as they're, they're carrying him out. And there's a widow behind weeping. And Jesus goes to the young man and takes him by the hand and says, rise up and, and imparts life to this dead young man. John chapter 11, Jesus shows up at the grave of Lazarus. And the the stone is covering the grave, and Jesus tells the people to remove the stone, and they say, but Lord, he stinketh, right? That's the King James. Uh, It's the best King James translation you can get is that the the death of Lazarus, because it uses the word stinketh. Uh, Lord, he stinketh. Um, And Jesus has them roll the stone away, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus hobbles out wearing the grave clothes, and Jesus says, go unwrap him. He he gives life. Uh, He gives sight to the blind in Matthew chapter 9, but... Perhaps my, my favorite one is Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight, verses twenty two through twenty-five. Says one day he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and they sail, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who is this then that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? That's an amazing scene. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a stormy sea. But what happens here is the disciples, who many of them are experienced fishermen of their own right, who've been in plenty of storms, they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus stands up in the boat and it says he rebukes the wind and the waves. And in other accounts, it says immediately they ceased and there was a calm. Try that at home with your bathtub. Just give that a shot, let alone the the Sea of Galilee. This and, and the, the conclusion that disciples reach is exactly the point. Who is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? So whether it's the, the raising of Lazarus or the turning of, of water to wine, the feeding of the 5,000, the resurrection, more on that will, will come next week. Jesus is demonstrating with his acts, with these miracles that he is what? God. He's God. God. And so it comes back to this question for all of us. Who was Jesus? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the evidence that stacks up in favor of the fact that this man was God? This quote I found amusing and sad as well. Regardless of what anyone personally thinks or believes about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of the western culture for almost 20 centuries. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It's by his name that millions curse and in his name that millions pray. In other words, Jesus is unavoidable. Everybody has to to deal with Jesus. Somebody else here, a a professor and apologist says, it's hard to find a major tradition or a minor movement that does not give him a special place of honor. And find a significant way to enfold him into their system of beliefs. The Baha'i, the Sikhs, the Mormons, the New Age movement, the Unitarians, religious science, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Jains, the Deists, and many more find a way to put their hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. In other words, this is just saying if you look at Jesus, he's in so many different world religions out there because there's something significant about him. He is unavoidable. Everyone has to do something with Jesus. And our argument is, when you look at the reliability of the New Testament, you look at the reliability of the scriptures, it makes no sense not to believe what we find in the Bible. C.S. Lewis is perhaps most well-known for his trilemma of Lord, liar, or lunatic. He says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, says Lewis. Lewis is saying, you can look at Jesus and say, okay, I believe what the Bible says and he is my Lord. Or you can look at him and say, he's a lunatic because only a crazy person would have made the claims that he made. Or you can look at him and say, you know what? He's a liar. But you can't look at him and say, you know what? He was a good person, but he wasn't God. That's not a, a tenable position. You have to decide. He's one of the three. And the question is, which one is he going to be for you? back to that conversation that I had with that Muslim gentleman at Saddleback, you know, he explained to me in, in a very kind way, again, that I was a blasphemer because in his eyes, there's only one God, and that's Allah. And God as God is Allah is, is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why if somebody tries to tell you that the Muslims and Christians worship the same God, we do not worship the same God. Their God is not triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Their God is a false God. And he looks at me and believes the same thing about me. And so when I told him that I believe that Jesus is the son of God, he told me that I'm a blasphemer because he believed that I was saying that there was more than one God. And what I was saying is not that there was more than one God, but that God exists as he's revealed in the Bible as father, son, and Holy Spirit. But this man's whole aim or goal in life, as he told me, was to live together and work for the common good. He wanted to show that we could just coexist, but as our conversation revealed, that's not really an option. Because we have such an enormous disagreement when it comes to this question, who is Jesus? I believe that Jesus is the son of God, who he claimed to be time and time again in the pages of scripture. That his works and his miracles performed in the sight of so many eyewitnesses, demonstrated his identity as God in the flesh. And that those who followed him, those who would even give their lives for him, clearly believed and taught those who were eyewitnesses of his life and ministry that he is God. But as I've told you last week and the week before, I can't convince you of that. Only God can convince you of that. And so if you're feeling that conviction, if you're feeling that desire to say that, yes, I believe this, it's not because of me, it's because God's working on your heart. And like Pastor Mike talked about this morning, if you were there, don't hold out from that. Don't embrace the mindset, I'll deal with God later on, because there may not be a later on. He may either, number one, like Pastor Mike said, turn you over to your sin, or number two, you may run out of time. You may just run out of time. So I hope that you've this stuff has, has just been something to, to bolster your faith and, and increase your faith. I hope that you can use this as you go out and have conversations with others. But um, again, that conviction that Jesus is God doesn't come from from me. It doesn't come from evidence. These things are helpful, but ultimately it comes from God as he works on your heart and opens blind eyes. Let me pray and then we'll break up into small groups. God, we thank you for this, this truth. We thank you for the reality. We thank you for the teaching of Jesus that we find in the scriptures, that he himself said that he's God and that he lived a life that backed that up and that others heard his teaching and saw his teaching and also believed these things as well. Lord, we pray that we would be found uh, faithful to, uh, to follow after him and, and follow his teachings and submit to him as, as Lord of our lives. Uh, Father, we, we trust you in this and, and we trust that your word is true. I pray that, uh, God, as we go in now to our small group discussion, that our time would be good, that it would be well spent and pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.